is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm your host, Mac Pritchard. I'm also the publisher of Mac's List. It's an online community that connects talented professionals with meaningful work. I believe everyone can find a job they love, but to do that, you need to learn the skills to build a successful career. From professional networking to personal branding, you've got to get good at job hunting. This show helps you do this. Every week on Find Your Dream Job, I talk to a different career expert. We discuss the tools and tactics you need to find the work you want. This week, I interview Laura Gessner-Odding about how to build your network so opportunity comes calling. Laura Gessner-Odding is an expert in leadership, executive recruitment, and career change. Laura works with a lot of leaders, and she says many of her clients never apply for a job. Instead, they get calls from recruiters, or employers approach them about unadvertised openings. According to Laura, this doesn't happen by accident. The people who get these opportunities network differently than most of us. And in our interview today, Laura shares how you can connect with others to create your own opportunities. First, says Laura, you need to define success. Too many people think you always need to get a big job with an important title. Depending on your goals, you might be better served by an entry-level position in a big office. Laura also emphasizes that the best networkers understand the difference between champions and mentors. And she stresses that you need to know that networking is a two-way street. Follow these and other principles, says Laura, and you too may start getting calls about the jobs that never get posted. Want to learn more? Listen in now at the MaxList studio as I interview Laura Gassner-Odding about how to build your network so opportunity comes calling. Laura Gessner-Odding is a professional keynote speaker. She inspires audiences to push past doubt and indecision. She's also an expert in leadership, executive recruitment, and career change. Laura previously served in Bill Clinton's White House, worked for a nonprofit search firm, and helped grow the startup execsearches.com. And she's the author of the book, Mission Driven, Moving from Profit to Purpose, she joins us today from Newton, Massachusetts. Laura, thanks for being on the show. Hey, I'm great. Glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Our topic this week is uh, how you can network so that listeners can have opportunities come to them. And I think, you know, I, I certainly uh, w- uh, hope this would happen when I was looking for work earlier in my career. I think a lot of job seekers would love to get a call from a recruiter or an employer offering uh, a job. And first of all, Laura, does that really happen? It absolutely does happen. Um, one of the things that I would tell people about executive search is that there are two important parts of it. The first is executive. We were doing work at the executive level, but the second is search. We actually went out and looked for candidates. And wh- the reason that 
organizations would hire us and pay us typically one third of the first year's cash compensation is, is the model is because we went out and we found candidates that they either could not locate on their own or could not convince on their own. And the reason they wanted those candidates is because those candidates were successful in what they were doing. They were happy in what they were doing. And because of that, it meant they weren't looking at the want ads. So we had to actually go out and search for those candidates. I imagine you got calls like this. I certainly do at MaxList where candidates will call me and contact me rather and say, I need to get my resume in front of a headhunter. Uh, is that something that you recommend? Would you, how, when you were doing executive search, would you respond to calls like that? So I would tell people that I was only really as good as the searches I had in house at any given moment. So if you were an incredible accountant or an incredible lawyer or an incredible program uh, person, and all I had was a fundraising job available, you were great, but you weren't great for me. You know, there weren't wrong candidates. There were just wrong candidates at wrong times at wrong moments in organizations. And if I didn't have a search for you, I loved you, but I had no use for you. And then three months later, when I had that search for the, the, the account or the lawyer or, or the marketer or the program person, I might not remember you were there. So it's a good idea to reach out to, to search firms because you never know if they've got searches. You never know if they've got a search they just haven't announced on their, on their website yet. But you also um, can then start to get to know them. And the way that I... The way that I recommend people do it is look at the look at the searches that are on the website of the search firm, and then call them up if there's something that that is right for you. Absolutely, call them up and and plead your case. Nobody ever got dropped out of a search because they were the right candidate, but they may, maybe were a little pushy. Um, but if there isn't something that's right for you, you can still call them up and say, "Hey, you know, I saw the search that you've got on your on your site. It's not quite right for me, but I know some people who might be in the right network or who for whom it might be right. And would you mind if I pass that information along to them?" And they'll be like, "Wow, manna from heaven! Thanks so much. We would love to get help getting this out because that's how we make our money." And once you've done them a favor, then you can turn around and say, "And hey, by the way, the reason I was looking at your website in the first place is that I'm beginning to contemplate my next." move. Would you mind if I sent you my resume? I'd love to have a conversation. And they're of course going to say yes at that point. So then they get to know you. Then you have a conversation and then it becomes your job to follow up once a month or every quarter or whenever it is, just so that you continue to be a resource for them so that when the search comes along, you be, you're much more top of mind. From the outside for many job seekers and, and professionals in general, executive search is a giant black box. They Often people don't even know how to find companies like this. Do you have a, some basic tips about not only uh, how to connect with firms, as you just described, but let's step back even further. How do you find these companies? So it is a black box, and I am going to apologize on behalf of the entire executive search world. It's often a black hole. Um, it, it, candidates don't always get treated very well by search firms. I'm, the firm that I founded, Nonprofit uh, Professional Advisory Group, um, stood stood apart. I thought because we we had a different, a little bit of a different business model where we didn't charge the typical one third. We had a we sort of unbundled the work and then created these bespoke offerings to clients based on how difficult their search was. And it incentivized us both to do well by the client, but also to do well by the candidates. And so we were actually proud that we got business from candidates who didn't make it through our searches, but then got placed in other places 
and then called us up to do searches for them. Um, but for the most part, candidates don't get treated very well by search firms. So I want to start by saying um, it's good, it's important, reach out to search firms, but if they don't treat you well, don't take that as a judgment. Don't take that as a valuation. That's just, they're just not incentivized to be worrying about you all the time. And so sometimes that results in bad behavior. In order to find them, I, you know, I think I, obviously there's the internet. You know, you can look up executive search. Um, there are uh, associations uh, th that have executive search, but um, I, I think there are in all of um, the states there are either uh, local societies for human resources management that where they may have membership if you are interested in say for example the nonprofit sector um, there are nonprofit associations in each one and often these um, these search firms will advertise in them so what I would say is uh, you can generally Google for executive search firm and then insert your area of industry here or go find the industry rags that cater to the industry for which you want to work and then look in the back and you'll start seeing either advertisements for the search firms or you'll see advertisements for jobs that then link to you can apply at XYZ search firm. And that's how you get a sense of who's doing the work in that in that area. Now, there are two different kinds of search firms. Also, there's retained executive search, and then there's the then there's um, uh, the the search that's done just on uh, a commission basis. And so, um, it's important to understand if they're doing a search that's retained search, they're hired by the organization to find them a pool of highly qualified people. Or if it's commission based work where they're just sort of throwing candidates at the wall to see what sticks. So the search firms are are one way you can get uh, those calls coming to you about opportunities, but that's only part of how that happens. Can you tell us uh, other ways that you've seen in your work, Laura, with with leaders, and not only in, in uh, but in your consulting practice, that people get these kinds of opportunities? What do people do besides contact exec executive search firms? So it's true that it, search firms are only part of it, and they are such a small part of it. Most of the searches, and you know, we've all heard statistics about how the vast majority of jobs that are filled are never advertised, and, and I believe that to be true. And then there are also the jobs that get filled that didn't even exist before somebody saw the solution to the problem, right? You meet a person, you're like, oh, you know, they'd be really good at doing this thing for me that I didn't quite realize I needed done until I met them. So it, the way that jobs are filled is by um, is by networking, is by getting to know people, is by getting yourself in the deal flow. So um, we think that networking means I have to walk around and amass this, this gigantic Rolodex of people. Um, but really what networking is, is it's, it's permeating a specific subset of people. It's creating a uh, critical mass within an industry or a, 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 a skill set where you want to be known. It's making sure that you get known as either a thought leader or a connector or somebody who brings some sort of innovative thinking, some sort of value to that world. And, and, and that happens by getting yourself in the room. Getting yourself in the room is the most important thing you can do because when you're in the room, you get to hear about new opportunities. You get to meet new people. You get to increase your network. You get to build your skill set. You get to, to expand your lexicon and your knowledge of um, the trends that are happening in that industry at the time. And so if you're not in the room, you don't hear about the opportunity, you don't even know to go for it. So I want to pause here because I want to talk about where that room exists and how you get into it and what difference it can make in your career. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Laura Gessner-Odding 
and we're talking this week about how to get opportunities to come to you. A few years ago, I got an email from a colleague who works for a member of Congress. My friend asked if I would give an informational interview to his summer intern, a college student. Of course, I said yes. After answering that email, I googled the intern. I wanted to get ready for our meeting, and then I wondered if I'd made a mistake. Here's what popped up in my search: a profile photo on the intern's Google Plus page, and it showed him wearing a T-shirt and smoking a cigarette. After seeing that image, it was hard for me to take this person seriously, and I expect other employers who saw that photo had the same reaction. Now, I'm not alone in checking people out online before a meeting. One recent survey found that 98% of recruiters say they use LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter to find candidates. What you say about yourself on these and other online channels shapes how employers and others see you. And if you're not on these platforms, you're invisible to hiring managers. You always need to put your best foot forward online, and especially when job hunting. That's why I built my free online course. How to wow and woo employers online. In three lessons, I show you how to make the most of social media in a job search. You can get your free copy today. Go to maxlist.org/wow. To have the most success in job hunting, you not only need to worry about embarrassing photos, you've also got to use LinkedIn and other platforms to share your professional expertise. Our course shows you how to do this. Go to maxlist.org/wow. Again. That's maxlist.org/wow. Now let's get back to the show. We're back in the Maxlist studio, and I'm talking with Laura Gasner-Odding. She's an expert on leadership, executive recruitment, and career change. And Laura is joining us today from Newton, Massachusetts. Now, Laura, before the break. We talked about executive search firms, which is, I think, the traditional way that people think opportunity comes to them.、Uh, they get in, their resume in front of a headhunter or a recruiter, and then one day the phone rings, and there's the dream job. And as you were saying, that's really only a small part of how that world works. And we were talking about the value of networking and being in the room where deals are made. Tell us more about that. When I got my very first job, well, my very first job was changing bedpans in a hospital when I was seventeen. And、uh, but when I got my very first real grown-up job,、um, it happened to be in the White House. So that's quite a career twist, right?、Um, uh, the way that I got that job was to make sure that when I was volunteering on the campaign, I got to meet as many people as I possibly could. Not because I thought they would do something for me, but because I just wanted to be surrounded by great people who were excited about the same things I was excited about and who had the same interests that that I had in terms of how we wanted to change the world. Some of those people ended up in interesting places. One of them ended up being the guy who ran all the volunteer operations for the Clinton administration, and he called me up on day one and he said, "I've got a potential opportunity to volunteer at National Service." And I said, "Fantastic! That's great. That's why I dropped out of law school to join the campaign to do this." And I went in for six weeks. I did data entry and made you know all the idealism I could eat. I was I was a volunteer.、Um, 
while I was there, I was in the room and, and I was able to get assigned projects, research projects or um, other uh, projects that I could work on that had me interacting with people who were making decisions about whether or not I might get employed. As I was walking out one day, there was a sign on the wall about giving blood. And I happened to notice that the head of the office was giving blood at 10 a.m. Now, there are four spots to give blood. There were three people already signed up and there was one empty spot. And I said, well, if I'm ever going to do this, I'm going to do it now. Now, I have a, a, a minor medical uh, condition that's not very exciting, but it means I sometimes pass out when I uh, give blood. But I decided <laughs> that I was going to make this happen and I was going to have him on a bed next to me giving blood. He was going to be, we were he basically had a trapped audience and the two of us sat on these gurneys right next to each other. And for 15 minutes, he asked me who I was and what I was doing and what I was interested in. And because I was willing to be in the room where it happened, you know, to quote the, the Hamilton musical, I, and because I was literally willing to give blood for the job, because I was interested in this so much that I was willing to eat ramen soup for six weeks while I tried to figure out how I could make money. You know, I was 21 years old at the time. So these are, these are the, the sacrifices you're willing to to, to, to endure. But because I was able to do that, because I was able to see this opportunity, because I was able to put myself in a place where strategically I would have the ear of the person who made a decision, I got offered actually a paid job. And of course, my career bloomed from there. But if I wasn't, if I didn't meet the people, if I wasn't in the room, if I didn't look at the opportunity, if I didn't jump at the chance, I never would have gotten there. And that's all because of the power of networking. And What's, uh, there are a lot of things I like about that story, but one stands out is you didn't start out with an impressive job, did you? It, it was a, a volunteer <laughs> position. The, are you talking about the bedpans or, or the data well, entry? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there's, I, my first job was carrying newspapers and then I washed dishes um, and I, I, at a restaurant for a while. But I think we all, all of those experiences can can help us in the workplace. But in your case, you had a much higher goal, but you you started out at a very modest position. So we're often taught that we should strive for the most impressive title we can have. And I think that's wrong. I think it's really important to put yourself in the most impressive place you can put yourself. And not because I think you're, you know, you're not going to make the most money, you're not going to have the, the, the most fame for it, but because you will learn the most from it. So I took a, 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 a tiny, tiny position um, and I got the lowest possible salary, but I was working as the, what's called a confidential assistant to the, to the head of national service, which basically meant I did a lot of scheduling his trips and uh, speech writing and proofreading. And I was the person who briefed him before he went anywhere. I mean, I was the like, I was the right hand person. Um, it was not an impressive job, but I sat next to the CEO and because I sat next to the CEO, I got to meet everybody he met. I got to see how he operated. I got to learn um, how he got to where he was. And I got to see a model of leadership that was different than the model of leadership I had thought was the only model that existed. And so my education, uh, I mean, I, I grew 10x while I was there because I, I wasn't you know, the, 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 the head of a division that was part of a department that was part of a unit that was part of a whatever in a regional office, I was at the top, even though I was in this tiny job. And so it's not about, it's not about making sure you put yourself in the most important position. It's making sure that you set yourself up for a trajectory on a career um, by giving yourself what you need along the way in terms of knowledge and network. 
what would you say to listeners, Laura, who, who say, well, that, that makes sense, but I'm not 21. I'm mid-career or I'm, I'm at a senior, uh, I'm farther along in my career, perhaps 15, 20 years. I don't want to eat ramen. I've, I've got ba- bills to pay. How can they take the principles that you're describing and apply them to their own career? Well, I, it's, it's, it, there's a, it's a two-part answer. The first is, do they want to stay doing what they're doing? And the second is, do they want to completely reinvent themselves and do something different? And so depending on which of those, which of those questions they ask, I would answer differently. I think the first is, if they want to continue doing what they're doing, they should think about whether they're in the right place to do it, whether they're working with the right people, whether there's support that's coming to them, um, and whether they, there are opportunities that are going to come to them for them to grow in, in that world. If they don't have those things, then it's it, it's important to think about how to get them. So, um, do they have control over the, the 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 contribution they want their work to make in in their lives at this moment? Are they making the kind of money they make? Are they are they making the sort of uh, change in the world or the company or their community that they want to make? Um, do they feel fulfilled? Are they being at the, the, are they getting the best out of themselves every single day? And, and if they're not, then that's the moment when you have to decide to make that change. And I would say to make that change is to probably invest deeper um, in the, the career that they have by joining associations, by starting to go to more networking events, by really sort of getting out of their, their, their cubicle or their office and, and, and starting to face external instead of just continuing to sort of push deeper where they are. If they're looking to do something completely different, then it's a matter of thinking, well, what is not just what are they running away from? What don't they like now? But what is it that's exciting them that they want to do in the future. And maybe that's a cause they want to serve. Maybe it's a using a different type of skill set. Maybe it's taking that side hustle and making it into their full-time job. And again, I think the way to do that is to start getting more active and to get to know people outside of what you're doing. We all know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. That's kind of like a Yogi Berra, you know, it's pretty obvious. But until you start talking to people and seeing the way that they are doing their work, the model of, of how they are um, allowing that work to contribute to the life that they want to have, it's pretty hard to understand what you're missing. I mean, we all know like the void is pretty obvious, but how do you fix that void? That's, that's always a little bit more confusing. And the only way that we can get there is to see models of other people. There are, there are um, studies that show that one third of Americans over the age of 50, so 34 million people want to do something in their last big gig that is more meaningful, that feels good, that's giving back in some way. That's a huge percentage of the population that's thinking about reinvention. At the, gener- at the Gen X age where I am, you've got kids that are getting older, you've got parents that are getting older. So we're trying really hard to figure out does this work give me what I want to do? I've got to go to it every day. I've got bills to pay. Am I making enough? I've got, you know, big concerns about finances coming, but I also have this time that I need flexibility. And then millennials are more and more looking for work that matters, that has purpose, that gives them engagement. And so at every generation, everyone's thinking about this question of reinvention all the time. If you're somebody who's thinking about reinvention, what I would say is don't be afraid of it. I would say embrace it and start talking to people about it because you're definitely not going to be alone. So the common thread running through both instances is the people that you surround yourself with and, and, and as you reach out to folks doing it in a thoughtful, strategic way. Let's bring it back to our topic, which is, and you touched on this in the first half of the interview, Laura, 
how do you work with people and build relationships so that those opportunities do come to you and you're not just waiting for a headhunter to send you a text or uh, make an old-fashioned phone call? People always tell me that they hate networking. They hate giving their elevator speech they, or their elevator pitch and they, they hate asking people for other things. And, and I think that networking's kind of gotten a bad rap. Um, we, we tend to think that networking is going to a cocktail party, schmoozing, trading business cards, and you know, talking in somebody's ear about what you do. And it's really not. Networking should be thought of as the building of a network. And that network could be a group of people that you um, interact with now. It could be a group of people that you interact with later. These are people that grow over time. I, I'm I'm on the board of a of a of a nonprofit organization that has a, a that has fellows that that run through it. And I remember one of the young fellows when he was in college said, "I hate networking. It just feels so one sided." Now I do a lot of, as you mentioned, leadership development and keynote speaking. And uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I called him up and I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in going and starting to speak on a lot of college campuses. It turns out that this kid now is not a kid any longer and now works in um, college campuses in freshman advising and actually helps them figure out how to book speakers. So when he thought that he was asking me for mentoring and for networking and for job advice and, and interview practice all those years ago, he felt like it was one way. But it turns out networking is really a long-term relationship. And so the, the, the best advice that I can give people about networking is not to treat it as a transactional one-time affair, but really to treat it as a building of a network, as, as building of a relationship over time. So think about not just, I've now asked you for all these things and ending the phone call saying, well, now, so tell me, what can I do for you? I hate getting that question. Like, I have no idea. I haven't thought about it. I'm here for you right now. But really more thinking about it as, as, as being having that person being present in your mind so that you see an article that you think they might like, or if you come across um, a news story or something that you think might inform what they're doing, letting them know about it, you know, talking to them. Don't just put like a tickler file that you should call them every three months, but really actively thinking about who are the people in your world who are impacting you the most and how can you continue to give value to them so that when you do call them, when they do call you, it doesn't feel transactional. It just feels like a, 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 a friendship. So make it authentic, think about the other person's needs and invest in it, uh, in, in the relationship. But Laura, I, I can hear listeners saying, okay, but how is that going to bring opportunity to me? Because uh, I'm, I'm thinking about next year or three years or five years from now, and I want to do this in a thoughtful way so that uh, my career benefits and my job search is perhaps less painful and shorter. Well, I think it's I think it's hard to plan it. I think it's hard to say I'm going to do these things now and in 6 months or a year or 3 years it's going to be perfect. I think you never know where those relationships are going to to end up. Uh, you know, as as we mentioned 25 years ago, I was a a a young peon in the White House and a lot of the other young peons all ended up working in really impressive places. And in my executive search work, I was able to call the CEOs of all these impressive companies and, and, and nonprofits and say, hey, pal, who do you know who's right for this? Or might you be interested? And my staff was always marveling, like, how are you able to get them on the phone? I'm like, because well, I've got stories. 
from way back when uh, that we don't tell in public. Um, so, you know, you never know where these relationships are going to go. But if if the networking is happening right now with a very specific, I want to get a new job in six months, in a year, in three years, then I would say, you know, you've got you to gotta be really strategic. Put together a spreadsheet. Where do you want to get to? What does success look like? What does that job look like? And then figure out if you want to work at a specific company, who do you know who works at that company? Who do you know who might know somebody who works in that company? Who do you know who might know somebody who knows somebody? And keep working your way back, whether it's through um, a job that the person you want to reach might have had two or three jobs ago. You can see that on LinkedIn. Whether it's somebody who might have gone to the same school, you can also see that. Go to Facebook, go to Instagram, go to all the social media and figure out who's connected to who and then see if you can get conversations with people. So as you get to know them um, and you get the social proof, right? It's like, it's sort of like when you put a, when, when, when you, when you're uh, publishing a book and you look for blurbs, why do we want blurbs on a book? Because those books give us this, you know, what's called quote unquote social proof. So-and-so thought it was good. So maybe I'll think it's good too. And if, uh, if I got a call from somebody who said, Hey, you know, you really ought to talk to Mac. He's interested in X, Y, Z. Well, if that person is somebody I trust, then I'm going to talk to you. If you're coming to me totally cold, maybe I'll talk to you. Maybe I won't. It, it just depends on what day you catch me. So it's getting really um, specific about where you want to land and then making sure that everything that you do that's outside of your job or outside of your family or your faith or your community or whatever it is that takes up your time is directed specifically at, I want to make sure that I can eventually get to sitting in front of this person. Good. Well, I love the practicality of that advice. Now, Laura, tell me what's next for you. So I have a new book coming out in a few months. It's called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And it's based on this idea that we've always thought that success is a very specific thing, usually defined by other people, friends, parents, mentors, teachers. And then we've leaned into that and we filled all of our checkboxes and we've turned around and gone, well, why do I feel so empty? And so the book is based on this idea that in order to be limitless, we have to find our consonants. And getting to consonants means having the right recipe of calling, connection, contribution, and control in our careers so that we can feel like we're in alignment and in our flow. Well, I know it's available for pre-order on Amazon now. We'll be sure to include a link to the book in the show notes. And uh, I know people can also learn more about you and your work by visiting your website, lauragassneroding.com, and we'll include that in the show notes as well. Laura, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. One of the tips that Laura shared that really stood out for me was her advice about getting clear about where you want to go in your job search. And we were talking about how to make opportunities come to us. And I I thought it was so practical the way she described putting together a, a spreadsheet with the names and contact information of people at a company where you hope to get a, a job and thinking about how you can build authentic relationships uh, based not on taking, but on, on giving to others. Uh, that's an idea. It, it requires you to be clear about your goals and where you want to go. Uh, but once you know that, then she really offered a roadmap for how to act on it. And I think uh, as you think about Laura's advice and get clear about your own goals and you're thinking about those next steps, you need to make sure that your online profile matches what you want to do and where you want to go. 
That's why we put together our free video course, How to Wow and Woo Employers Today. It shows you how to put your best foot forward online, but in a strategic way. Don't let an out-of-date LinkedIn profile or other social account hurt you professionally. Go to maxlist.org slash wow. Again, that's maxlist.org slash wow. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Find Your Dream Job. And join us next Wednesday when our guest will be Donna Thay of Advid Careerist. Until next time, thanks for letting us help you find your dream job. <laughs>